Amen. Well, again, let me say good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. It is a joyous day to be gathered here in the house of the Lord. I am so thankful to see many of you, see some of you for the first time. Uh, uh, some that I, uh, some I've not seen in quite a while, but some that I'm happy to see. Um, some that I was told existed and did not believe for four years, and behold, they sit before me today. And so I can really just close the service with a word of prayer and we'd be done and dismissed uh, at this point. But anyway, I am thankful. Uh, many of you do not understand that joke. Uh, that is okay. I will explain it to you later if you wish. But anyway, glad that we are here and gathered together. Good to be able to worship together with the family, God, a family of God. And we are going to be wrapping up Advent moving forward today. And again, uh, before we do, uh, I do want to remind you that we are still in the Advent season. This is where we have declared and we have been declaring all month that Christ has come and Christ is coming again. So if you would say that with me, Christ has come and Christ is coming again. Well, today being Christmas Day, we gather and celebrate because this is the day where we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the day where we celebrate the incarnation, a day we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the moment where the history of the world changed. Okay, people have been talking for months and years now about whether you're on the right side of history or you're on the wrong side of it. And the reality is, this is the moment where you can truly say whether or not you're on the right side or the wrong side of history. There is no moment but the moment of the incarnation. So this morning, we are going to focus on our final aspect of Advent, if you will, with the candles lit, which really is the central theme of this season, and that is the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, again, in light of worship today and this season, I want us to continue through uh, our series called the Psalms of the Messiah. We're going to be looking at Psalm 96 this morning and talking about how it is Christ and Christ alone who is, should be, and always will be exalted. So, with that being said, what does it mean to exalt Jesus Christ? Well, a basic definition of the word exalt would be this, to hold in very high regard, or to think or speak highly of, or to raise to a position of great power. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters together, we believe the one who is to be held in high regard is Jesus. We believe today that the one who has the highest position of great power is Jesus. Now, as a note, we are not the ones who raised him to that position. We are not the ones who placed him on the throne. He was already there, and it's by his grace that he alone revealed himself to us. It was by his love that he took on the very wrath of God and thus defeated, the, uh, defeated death, uh, a death that we ourselves deserved. Thus he alone, Christ alone, is the one who deserves all the glory. It is Christ alone who deserves to be lifted up and it is Christ alone who deserves to be exalted today, as with every day. You see, we already know this to be true if you're a believer in this room. So again, nothing new here. Hoping more, this is a word of encouragement, a word of affirmation for you. So let's go back, look at the Psalms together for a moment, going back to our series, Psalms of the Messiah, Psalm 96, and let's see how the people of God held the coming Messiah in high regard. 
So let's look to the words of the psalmist this morning and see Christ exalted. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 96. And once you have found your place in the word and you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now this is Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1, we read, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now again, this uh, is obviously a psalm, Psalm 96, a psalm believed to have been written by David. We believe this because a part of this passage actually appears in and of itself in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 when the people of God were celebrating the fact that the ark was being brought from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, back into the city of Jerusalem. So there was much singing, much celebrating during this time, and they were celebrating the fact that God, they were celebrating the fact that they were affirming God's rule over the earth. Now, what makes this psalm so great is we literally can see this being played out during the times of David as they celebrated the ark coming back into the city of Jerusalem. But at the same time, we could see this as foreshadowing to the kingdom of, of the Messiah that will come again when he comes to reign. So notice this morning that what we have before us is not just another psalm for the Jewish people people in preparation of what is to come as God's people, but rather we have a new song this morning, a new song about a new time to come under the Messiah who would come to save all the peoples. In fact, in some of the Hebrew texts that we have, it actually adds a subtitle, if you will, under Psalm 96, and it reads this way, a Psalm of David, prophecy of the coming Messiah and the calling of the Gentiles. Notice this morning that here we have a psalm of old that points us to sing a new song. A song where all peoples can come to God through the coming Messiah. A song where we can see Christ exalted because of the work that he has done and in our case, the work he will do. So this morning, let's answer the question, how should we as believers today exalt Jesus Christ? 
Well, I believe the psalmist gives us two answers to that question this morning. The first being found in verses one through six. And he says this, we exalt Jesus Christ when we sing praise. Did you catch that this morning? We exalt Jesus when we sing praise. That's right, as people and the people of God, we are called to sing. Notice this, notice nowhere you'll see anywhere where it says come and gather with the people of God for the purpose of worship and just stand there as statues. That's not the calling for the believers. Notice with me in verse one, it says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Right out of the gate, we see the reminder of a new song that is to be sung with the coming of the Messiah. We are seeing a new benefit or a new blessing that was coming when Jesus Christ was born. So in light of this blessing, the psalmist calls now for all the earth to sing. In other words, we're not talking about a song that was meant just for the lands and the people of Israel alone. This was a song meant to be sung for all who are redeemed from all of the men throughout all of the earth. So now the Gentiles... Me, you, all of us are now being included in this song of praise because God came to save all. He continues from there in verse 2 and he says, Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Now notice the repeated pattern of the phrase, sing to the Lord, which shows us that the psalmist has a strong feeling or passion for the believers to sing. And so again, we're seeing the, the singing that's happening that's pointing us to the importance of the work and the singing of this new song. So notice as, as Christians today, as a church today, we are not now called to be timid in our worship. So can I just free you for a moment? If you're here today and you say, I am singing in my heart, but I don't sing with my voice because I'm afraid my voice sounds horrible. Let me encourage you today. No one cares. Who cares? So why should you? You have been saved. You have been redeemed. And so you should sing, and you should sing praise. I mean, think about this for a moment. Imagine you were stuck in prison, and not prison today, but stuck in prison in, in Jesus' day. You were stuck there, starving, dirty, chained to a wall, not able to bathe. And then someone all of a sudden showed up for no reason. And they opened your cell and they released you from your chains and they said, you are now free to go. Sadly, there are many Christians in our society who would stop and see this moment and go, okay, hold on a minute. Let me, let me, let me, let me go bathe first. Let me get my affairs in order. Let me get, let me get this, my rock collection that I now have together. And then I'll be ready to go. You see, friends, that's not the reality of what the psalmist is singing about here. He's saying, no, if someone were to come to set you free from the chains that you find yourself in bondage into the wall, if someone came and, and opened the prison doors for you, then you should be running out before they are changing their mind. You should be shouting from the rooftops. You are now gone. You are now free. No one can stop you. You are now just running. Who cares about what you smell like? Who cares about what you look like? You can run to the water. It's okay. You are now free from your bondage. I mean, this is almost like being a kid on the last day of school. I've been that kid before. It's like all of a sudden hear the bell ringing and you can now run for freedom. And no one can stop you. 
You can yell up and down the halls. You can throw the notebooks and it's perfectly okay because you're not now going to get in trouble. No one's going to shut the door. You're now free to go. Now, some of my teachers are looking at me going, we don't allow that in my school. Stop that. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there are several of you teachers that outrun your students to their cars. This is the type of singing that the psalmist is calling for. He's saying, sing from all of your lungs. Sing from the rooftops. Let the people hear the rejoicing that is coming from your lips as you praise what it is that God through Christ has done for you. Now again, notice the psalmist says this morning three different times, sing to the Lord. Which again, fun fact, has led some to wonder whether or not this passage was actually pointing us to the Trinity itself. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all one God, to whom the new song of salvation is being sung to because of their work in it. Think about this. When it comes to salvation, it was the Father who contrived salvation. When it comes to salvation, it was the Son who then effected it. When it comes to salvation, it is now the Spirit who applies it as we continue to work through sanctification. Coming back to the text, notice that the people now call to bless his name in song. In other words, we're now called to speak well of God and to speak of the goodness of God, to speak and to sing of his blessings and to bless him for his goodness and his willingness to be our mediator and thus giving him the glory for what it is that he has now done. And again, notice these words. We're not just called to sing them, but the psalmist continues and says, but now you are to tell of his salvation from day to day. In other words, as God's people, we have been shown the good news because of what it was was that Jesus Christ has done for us. We are called to talk of the good news of the completed work of salvation done through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to teach the gospel. We are called to evangelize with the gospel. We are called to point sinners to their need for a Savior, a Savior who has come and a Savior who will come again. Brothers and sisters, we aren't just called to sing loud. We're called to proclaim it to the world. All of us are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now notice this, the text continues and it gives us this phrase that we are to tell the world of its salvation from day to day. In other words, each and every day is an opportunity to now make Jesus Christ known. We are now called to share of him frequently and constantly as opportunity arises. And trust me, there is opportunity every day for us to share the gospel right where we are. So I have to ask this morning, man, do we see the opportunities? Do we see the opportunities that we have every day to share of the good news of Jesus Christ? And if we do, then here's my question. What is now stopping us? The text continues in verse 3. The psalmist continues in his celebration and he says to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Again, we are now seeing the glory of God at work in redemption. Thus, we are now being reminded to share of the glory of God to the nations, to the ones who do not know him. Now, when writing of his marvelous works, notice how the people are continually singing praise to God. The people of God are now singing about the wonderful person that Jesus Christ is. They are now singing about the wonderful love that he has shown them through his incarnation, his suffering, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. Thus leading them 
to share and to sing of his wonderful work as they speak of his plan of redemption. To wonder and to marvel at what it is that he will do when he returns again for his people. That's why I thought it was so beautiful this morning. We sang in Christ alone. Notice again, nowhere in the language do we see that we are called to sing our own praises. Notice in the language, we're not called to sing of our own works. Rather, we are called to point people to the one who can truly save them, and that is not us. We are not the ones who do the saving. That's why our focus in worship should always be Jesus Christ. If we find ourselves in a place of worship where we are elevating man above God, then you are not in a place of worship. We should constantly find ourselves worshiping Jesus. Notice in the text, the psalmist continues and he tells the church why it is that we should sing praise or why we can sing, share, and show the goodness of God. In the next three verses, he says, verse four, for for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now, again, we are taught that we sing because God is perfect in his nature. God alone executes the offices of creation, the office of providence, and the office of redemption. And because of the greatness and the glory of God, no other thing or no other deity deserves the reverence that is due the name of God. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Again, the psalmist tells us more about these quote-unquote gods. He literally says to us, they are worthless idols. In other words, he says to us, they are are nothing. Now again, pay attention to the text because the psalmist is not acknowledging other gods as if they are real. Rather, he is saying that none of them have any being in them. None of them have any form to them and none of them are divine for there is only one God. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4 when he says, therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. The psalmist, coming back to our text, now doubles down on his reasons to sing and to share when he writes that it was the Lord who made the heavens. Now, man, hear these words as we sing praise today. It was God who made the sun, God who made the moon, God who made the stars. All of the heavenly hosts are the result of his workmanship. All of them declare the glory due his name. All of them show us and point us to the Messiah to be truly God. And thus he alone is the one should be worshipped. And as if this wasn't reason enough to sing praise, he goes on to add in verse 6, And splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Again, the psalmist says that we can sing praise because the Messiah to come, the Messiah who has come, now sits at the right hand of God. Honor and majesty are upon him. He is now crowned and robed in glory. He alone holds the scepter of righteousness. And the angels gather around him for the purpose of worship. 
Now there is beauty being played out in these three verses because we see this again in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, when we read the words, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In other words, as the psalmist has told us in the prophecy in the midst of their celebration, to the end of times in Revelation, all of creation worships Him. Thus why we can come together and praise His name in splendor and in majesty. The text continues. The, ta- the psalmist tells us that we can now sing praise because of the strength and the beauty that are now in His sanctuary. In other words, whether we're talking about the church or we're talking about the kingdom, it is His strength that is put on full display as we see the conversion of sinners by the gospel. It's his strength that reveals to the people of God and prepares the people of God for the work of the gospel. It is his beauty that is now seen in how Jesus leads his people to holiness through the righteousness that he alone has provided. That is the beauty of the gospel that is now upon our lives. And yet it is God through his strength and his beauty who is not done with us, nor is he done calling people to himself. You see, by his power, the beauty of the gospel continues to spread throughout the nations so that his will and his word will continue to be done. Brothers and sisters, we have more than enough reason to sing praise to our God. We sing because he deserves the glory alone. We sing because of his salvation. We sing because of his power at work. We sing because he alone is king. And by his power and grace, we don't just sing anymore. We are now called to share and to make the gospel known in words and in our actions and how we live. So this season, we have to ask ourselves, man, is Christ exalted in our actions Is Christ exalted in our words? Is Christ exalted in our hearts? And you may say, I don't know. How do we even measure that? Okay, simple measurement. How's your singing? How's your sharing? For we are all called to sing. We're all called to share. The psalmist moves from here and he gives us our second point in how we can now exalt Christ. Verses 7 through 13, he says, we exalt Christ when we ascribe glory. Now, again, before we jump into this text, let me just give a disclaimer before we jump into the passage and let me clarify some items. Now, again, the word ascribe is a word that we don't often use, right? I don't hear people using the word ascribe anymore, all right? No one is using, well, let me ascribe to you the joy that I found in this restaurant. Nobody is saying that, right? I don't ever hear people using this word, so let me define it for you. Ascribe means to regard as belonging to or produced by a specific agent or attribute. Now, again, before anyone misinterprets the text or misinterprets uh, my thoughts on the text, we are not giving something to Jesus Christ here, right? Okay, we are acknowledging that what it is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, already has. That's what we're doing this morning, okay? Why? Because Jesus Christ already has the glory. Jesus Christ is already Savior alone. He is already Lord alone. And so we as recipients of this great grace are simply recognizing and acknowledging what it is that he already has. So let's look at the text, verse 7. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Now, pause there. In calling on the families of the people, notice again the psalmist is talking about all the peoples. He's not just talking about the nation of Israel anymore. He's talking about the Gentiles who are going to come to faith as well. You see, these are the the chosen people of God who were now redeemed uh, out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. Notice in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, Paul says the same words, for there is no distinction between Jew nor Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, Paul agrees with the text in the Psalms. He says the Messiah came for all peoples. And man, this is good news for us today. Because he came for us. And not only has he come for us, but that means that as the people of God, we should never give up on those that we think may never come to faith in Jesus Christ. For he came for all peoples. Now, again, let me clarify for a moment. Many of you have sat with me and we've talked, and you know exactly where I stand on on the issue of election and salvation, right? Okay, so we believe that God came for the elect. Now, some would say, Pastor, that's harsh. Some have even said to me, Pastor, how can you even do evangelism if you believe in that? I'm going to answer your question for you this morning. You ready? When it comes to sharing the gospel with people, I am assuming they are already elect. They just don't know it yet. It's just really that simple. I just look at them and say, I'm just going to assume that you are one of the elect. And so I am here to tell you the good news because you may not know it. Because the reality is this. I don't know who's elect and who's not. I trust God with that work. My job is just to be the messenger to share the good news of the gospel. So that's the assumption that I work from. And I hope we all do the same. Coming back to the text, verse 8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering and come into his courts. Now again, here we are seeing the importance of lifting up the name of Jesus Christ because of his attributes uh, are the reasons that we should be praising his name. Now, the word offering is put in here, and and the word offering mentioned here is not the, the same ceremonial sacrifice that we see throughout the Old Testament, but rather what the psalmist is calling for is for the people of God to come into the the house of God as a holy, living, and acceptable sacrifice carrying on the cause of the great Redeemer. In other words, we are now called to come into his courts for the purpose of prayer. We are called to, to gather in the name of Jesus for the purpose of worship and the purpose of praise. So what the psalmist is pointing us to this morning is the importance of being gathered together as the body of believers in the name of Jesus Christ. I love what Dwight L. Moody says about this point. And speaking of gathering together as a body, he says church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. Church, can I tell you something? And I think we're getting this wrong today. When it comes to being together with the body of believers, this should be a top priority for all Christians. We are called to be together. And I'm not, listen, hear me on this. I'm not, I'm not talking about folks who want to sit there and say, well, hey, we can just gather in our homes and be together. No, sir, we don't live in that country. 
We don't. God has given us the freedom to gather in places and to gather as a body, and so we should freely gather together. Some would argue that. Let me say this to you today. I promise you there are brothers and sisters in this world, in the Middle East and the Far East, who would love to trade places with you right now. They would love to be able to gather this way. So don't just see this as an obligation. Don't just see being gathered together with the body of believers as as a thing you have to do. This is an opportunity. This is a blessing. This This is a call. Make it a top priority in your life to be gathered with the body. Verse 9, the psalmist continues. He says to the people, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Now again, the psalmist writes for the people to come together, to come to the Lord in holy reverence and awe. So again, we are seeing the peoples come together and marveling and, and wondering at the goodness of the Messiah. To, to pray, and they're praising him for the miraculous work that he will now do. And again, we see this word trembling. This trembling of the earth is not some sort of fear tactic. Okay, So don't, don't think God's all of a sudden coming and, and creating fear in the lives of people, but rather it's an affirmation that the name of the Lord will be great and tremendous amongst God's people. In other words, it's like God speaking through the prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 1 verse 11. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Man, in light of Christmas Day and what we celebrate, do we realize that there is a day that is coming where the name of Jesus will be the greatest name that is ever spoken? Do we know that one day, a day is coming where at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the world will know that day as well. So again, brothers and sisters, when we ascribe glory, we are not giving God glory as if we were offering it to him. He had the glory, whether we wanted to acknowledge it or not. He's always had it. His glory has already been established. So we are simply joining with what creation already knows to be true. Notice verse 10 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved for he will judge the peoples with equity. Now again, in light of praising God for who he is, the psalmist now turns us back to the clear call to preach the gospel. Why? Because it was God who has now established the world. It is God who will come to judge the peoples. In other words, he is now the only one who upholds and sustains all the world and everything now in it. You see, this passage right here should should give us encouragement as a church. We are living in a day and time where churches fluctuate. They don't even know what they believe anymore. We're living in a, in a day and a time where the conditions around us will become unsettled. And, and no matter what happens, here's the truth. Churches may fluctuate. The world may become unsettled. But the church of Jesus Christ is not going away. Because Jesus is the one who established the church. Christ's church is going nowhere. If anything, it's going forward. It's advancing You see, here's the truth today. The gospel will remain until the end of time. Why? Because the Lord reigns for all eternity. And not only does he reign, but the text tells us he judges. Again, this is good news for the believer. Why? Because he will come to protect and to defend and to keep safe the righteous. Again, this is why we can give God the glory. 
Not just for who he is, but for what it is that he has done for his glory, for his people. So now notice the text will now turn from ascribing glory to now the response that should come from all creation in light of ascribing glory to God. Notice verses 11 and 12. It says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Now, when you read this, it almost kind of feels like a moment from the Lord of the Rings, right? Has everybody watched those movies or read those books? If you have, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but if you've read the books, it's kind of at the end, kind of, you know, the Return of the King part is kind of the name of the third movie, where all that happens, you almost have this moment where, you know, like Gandalf and, and the hobbits, they're all together, and, and Treebeard's there. It's this weird celebration kind of thing happening, right? So literally, that's almost what it feels like when you read verses 11 and 12, but the reality is the psalmist is telling us that all sorts of creation is literally praising God for what is to come. I mean, literally, this is what is happening around us. All of creation is pointing itself to its creator. It is praising God for the redemption that is coming. The heavens and the stars now reflect the glory of God. The seas roar and all of creation is singing and ascribing praise with what it is that they do. And what are they praising? They're praising the coming of the kingdom. They're praising their creator. They're praising the one who will come on the kingdom that will come on the wings of the Messiah. They are praising the kingdom that is everlasting, a kingdom that now as believers in God through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, a kingdom that is now our home. And so we join with all of creation in praising the name of Jesus Christ. Now again, even though this passage really represents creation and us joining with creation to praise his name, notice the word field here. Because the field actually represents the church. You see, the church, the body of believers, like the field, we have been separated by grace. We have been cultivated by his spirit. We are now abounding with the fruit of his word, thus becoming a field that is ripe for harvest. This passage is, is not only pointing us out as the field, but it's now calling us to continue to grow and calling us to continue to rejoice in the goodness of God. You see, like a fruitful field or, or better yet, like trees in the forest, we are now rooted in Jesus Christ. We are now stabilized by the word of God so that we don't just blow whichever way the wind takes us. And we are made fruitful by the work of the Spirit. And it's in those moments that we become wonderful in, in appearance. Wonderful in appearance because of what it is that Jesus Christ has done. So can I just say something to you and encourage your hearts for just a moment? If you ever find yourself in a moment where somebody tries on something for the first time and they say to you, maybe it's a spouse, how do I look? Because of this passage in verse 11 and 12, if you don't know how to answer that question, here is your answer. You can say to them, in Christ, you look great. It's like the best answer you can give. And it's straight from the Bible. They can't argue that. They're like, that's not what I mean. You'd be like, that doesn't matter what you mean. What matters is what the word means. How are they going to trump that? I'm probably going to hear that like three or four times this week now from my own kids. Coming back, verse 13. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now again, the psalmist teaches us that we can now attribute glory to God because he alone will come. And again, when he comes, as what's already been stated, he will judge. Now, notice the repetition of the phrase, for he comes. You see, this repetition is now pointing us to the assurance that we can now have in knowing that the Messiah will come. And in our case, 
He has come and we know that he will come again. Except this time when he comes, he won't be coming as the savior of the world. He'll be coming as the king of kings. He'll be coming as the Lord of lords. He'll be coming as the righteous judge. He's going to judge the inhabitants of the earth, the great, the small, the high and the low, the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, the quick and the dead, the righteous and the wicked. All of our works, all of our words, all of our thoughts, whether good or bad, will be brought to account and every man will be judged. And his judgment will be according to his truth. So we have to ask ourselves this morning when it comes to ascribing glory, are we living for the truth of the word of God? Or are we seeking to live according to the standards of man? Who do we seek to appease this morning? Are we seeking to appease God? Or are we seeking to appease man? Brothers and sisters, we are called to exalt Jesus Christ. And we do this when we ascribe glory to his name. Not because we gave it to him, but because he has always had it. He alone has always been glorious. He alone has always been good. He alone has always been the judge. And he alone is the Messiah. He alone is the one who has established the church. He alone is the one who established his people. So, as people who are called to sing praise, as people who are called to ascribe glory, share the good news of his grace, share the good news of his glory, Right where he has you. You see, here's what's about to happen. We're fixing to close out our time together, and I don't know what your day looks like. You may be moving on to celebrate with family, and thanks be to God that you have that opportunity. That's a beautiful thing. You may be getting ready to go out and celebrate with friends. You may be getting ready to go home just to change clothes to get in the vehicle and drive six hours. If that's you, I'll see you on 75 in just a moment. I don't know what's next for you. But I do know what, what, what I do know is this, is, is we are celebrating Christmas today. We're celebrating today as a family. But please don't miss the opportunity that you now have to share with others what it is that we know to be true of our great God. The Messiah has come. The Messiah will come again. You see, we have a powerful work before us. We serve a great God who came as a helpless babe, came as the Messiah. He lived a perfect life. He taught, performed miracles. He died the death we deserved. And then he defeated death and he rose from the grave. He then spent 40 more days proclaiming the good news of the resurrection. And then he ascended. And as the word teaches, one day he will come again. So you see, Christ alone deserves the glory due his name. And so we ascribe him that glory. Christ alone deserves our praise. So we sing praise to his name. Christ alone has come. So now we have been called to pass on this gospel message to those who desperately need it. We have been called to pass along the hope, the love, the joy, and the peace that we now have because of Christ.
who is our Messiah. So as we move from this place, please continue to celebrate. But remember, we've been called to sing. Remember, we've been called to ascribe. Remember, we've been called to share. Remember, we've been called to show. Remember that our call is to exalt our Lord and Savior, our Messiah, and his name is Jesus. He has come. Praise be to God. He will come again. Praise be to God. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together.